You're listening to The Encounter Podcast, featuring my latest messages and teachings. Don't forget to subscribe. The Encounter Podcast. Encounter the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about the power of covenant or partnership with God. A covenant is an agreement or a pact between two parties. It's a partnership. Each party brings something to the table and agrees to fulfill their part of the covenant. Now, there are many different elements to a covenant, and I'll list them for you here. First and foremost, we have the terms. An example of terms is found in Malachi chapter 2, verse 5. The purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace, and that is what I gave them. This required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. In God's covenant with the Levites, it was required that the Levites reverence God, that they would honor Him. That was their part to fulfill in the covenant. Another example of terms is found in Genesis chapter 17, verse 9. Then God said to Abraham, Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. Now, as it goes with the Lord, He decided upon the terms of the covenant Himself. We can either accept or reject His covenant, but we cannot change the terms. If you and I were to enter into an agreement with one another, we could discuss the terms, we could negotiate. But when you enter into a covenant with God, the terms are non-negotiable. In other words, God sets the terms and you and I can either accept that covenant or reject it. The second element of the covenant is the oath. In a covenant, an agreement is made or spoken aloud. That's the verbal agreement. It's a very important aspect of the covenant. Here are some examples. Joshua 9.15. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. Then he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 through 18 say this. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. So there in Genesis chapter 22, when God is making this promise to Abraham, He is swearing by his own name. Now, that's a powerful statement because when you give your word in a covenant, when you give your word in an oath or in a vow or in a commitment, you are giving yourself. In other words, when you give your word, you're saying everything that I have, I will use to make sure that I fulfill what I have said. 
So when God swears by his own name, it's the full backing of heaven. It's the full power of who he is that is going into the covenant. He is committing himself to fulfill his end of the deal. This is a powerful statement, and it should tell us of the importance of keeping our word, because when you give someone your word, you are giving them yourself. And sadly, society has lost its reverence for the integrity that should back our words. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37 says this, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. My dad always told me when I was growing up, your word is your bond. Meaning if you commit to something, you must do everything in your power to fulfill that commitment. Now, understandably, sometimes life throws chaos our way, and sometimes it really turns out that there's nothing we can do to fulfill the promises we've made. Thankfully, with God, this isn't the case. There is never anything that catches God off guard. There is never anything that causes God to become unable to fulfill His end of the commitment. So loyalty, integrity, your character, all of that goes into an oath. It's who you are. The oath is only as good as the one who is giving the oath. The promise is only as reliable as the integrity of the one who was making the promise. So elements of the covenant. Number one, the terms. Number two, the oath. Number three, a triggering event. Now, this is a term I'm using because there are many different things that would cause the covenant to be finalized. Now, when a covenant is formed, sometimes blood must be shed. And some insist that every covenant must be made with blood. But I'll show you here that this is not always the case. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, we see a covenant being made that didn't require the shedding of blood. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul... The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and bow and his belt. So, a triggering event in a covenant is an exchange, a ceremony, a sacrifice, an offering, a meal, a signature of sorts. But oftentimes, especially as it has to do with biblical covenants, you will see that the shedding of blood is a requirement for many of the covenants that you'll see. Both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant require blood. The Abrahamic Covenant required blood, circumcision. The Mosaic Covenant required blood, animal sacrifice. The New Covenant required the blood of Jesus. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 tells us of how blood solidifies what is being done. For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification 
possible. Psalm 55 says, Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28 says, For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. In other words, the blood seals the deal. Now, in the case of the New Testament, it was the shedding of the blood of Jesus that was the triggering event. Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51 say this, Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart. When Jesus died on the cross, his death triggered the new covenant. That's why the veil was torn. The tearing of the old was the opening of the new. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, the scripture says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So the covenant also requires faithfulness to the commitments that were made in the covenant. In other words, you have to follow through on what you said, on what you promised. In Jeremiah, we read this, because you have broken the terms of our covenant, I will cut you apart just as you cut apart the calf when you walked between its halves to solemnize your vows. It's expected that you keep your end of the covenant. And as you can see, especially in the Old Testament, there were some very heavy consequences for breaking covenant. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Now, of course, we know this, that the children of Israel did not keep God's covenant, nor has anyone been completely faithful to the covenants that God has given to us. So, as it goes with covenants, you have the terms, the oath, the triggering event, and then the faithfulness to the covenant, the follow-through. But mankind has never really been good with the follow-through. Now, God is a covenant-making God. Since the beginning, God has wanted one thing with man, and that's partnership. If we look back to the creation of man, we see that God gives dominion to Adam. Why? Because Adam was to steward the creation that God had called into existence. So since the beginning, it has always been God's intention that you and I would be his partners in dominion. Now, the first covenant that was made was the Adamic covenant. This covenant was intended for mankind. Man was placed on the earth to have dominion, to steward what God had started. This was the first real covenant. It was a partnership between God and Adam. 
In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 30, the scripture says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Now, what's interesting here is we see that God commits himself to giving Adam everything he needs to reign. God provided the earth for Adam to govern. God gave dominion to man. This was the original partnership. It was God and man working together in God's kingdom. And this was for all mankind. God simply required that man obey him, that man live holy, that man reverence and honor what he had spoken. We see this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where the Bible says, But the Lord warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. There's the condition. So God says, here's dominion, now here's the condition. God committed creation to Adam. He gave him reign over all things in the earth, and he simply asked that he not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So why was Adam removed from his place of authority? Covenant. He broke covenant with God. Now, as the Lord is dealing out punishments, he speaks a curse upon the serpent. And in speaking this curse upon the serpent, we also see a prophetic revelation. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. God is prophesying. He's telling of the coming of the Messiah, someone who would redeem the terms of the covenant, someone who would get man back into partnership with God. He's foretelling of the coming of Jesus. Even in Adam's failing, even in Adam's sin, God commits himself to the original terms of the covenant simply because he spoke at the beginning that man was to have dominion. 
And he stands by his word, though Adam did not stand by his. Just think of the goodness and the mercy of God. That even when we aren't faithful, he is faithful. And this is a perfect example of it. Because God declared that man would have dominion, he committed himself, even in man's shortcoming, to ensure that man would once again receive that dominion. And of course, we know that this would eventually come through Christ. What was lost through Adam, God has sought to restore through covenants. Next, we see the Noahic covenant. This is for all mankind. And this is where God promises to never again destroy all life with the flood. This is where God reinstated now responsibility and stewardship to Noah and his family. God reinstates that responsibility to man. Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 13 say, And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you. From all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it's so amazing here that even though God knows that man would continue to sin for generations, he still commits himself to not destroying all life on earth through a global flood. That's his mercy. That's his compassion. That's his great patience. So he makes this partnership with Adam. Adam falls, and then God promises the coming of one who would come and restore this dominion, restore man's place. God speaks to Noah, says, I'll establish a covenant with you, and I will establish my covenant with you. He declares this firmly, and he speaks of future generations. How would this be done? Because even this covenant that God made with Noah and his family was broken. So God makes a covenant with Adam. Adam breaks the covenant. God makes a covenant with Noah. Eventually, they all break the covenant. Then there's the Abrahamic covenant. Now, among other things in this covenant, God promised to Abraham a great name and to make him a great nation. We see that in Genesis 12 too. He promised that Abraham's descendants would be countless. That's in Genesis chapter 13, verse 16. He promises Abraham the land. That's Genesis chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. This is the establishment of Israel, the people of God. Abraham was told to leave his home and go to the land that God would show him. This is where God set into motion the plan to bring about the Messiah, and God chose to do it through Israel. Genesis 22, 18. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. So from the beginning, God promises Adam and Eve restoration through a coming seed. And then God speaks to Noah of generations. God speaks to Noah about establishing his covenant with generations. 
And then God speaks to Abraham about the seed. And that seed being a blessing to all humankind. Of course, we know that eventually children of Israel break this covenant too. We see the Mosaic covenant. Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Now, of course, we know that Moses comes and establishes order. He brings the message from God regarding the terms of this new covenant. This new covenant required that they would fulfill over 600 commands. This included the Ten Commandments. This is the moral laws, laws on adultery and murder and theft. These are the dietary laws, clean and unclean, the proper preparation and storage of foods. The social laws, these are property laws, marriage and divorce, uh, civic laws. Then there are the laws of purity. There are the feasts. There are the instructions for the priestly duties and the codes that they must keep. The instructions for the building of the tabernacle, the creating of the priestly garments, the creating of the anointing, the Ark of the Covenant, and so on. And then he also establishes a system of sacrifices and offerings. Sacrifices that they must make to stay in right relationship with him. But before Moses can even bring the commands down from the mountain, the people of Israel broke the terms. So again, we see God reaching down to humanity, wanting to restore that partnership, wanting to restore that relationship. And each time he gives the terms, man does not keep it. From Adam to Moses to the children of Israel. You can also see another covenant, the land covenant in Deuteronomy 29.1. The Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. This was talking about the establishment of David's thrones throughout the generations and beyond. And you can see the fulfillment of that in Jesus. You follow it all the way through Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. But what's important to note here is we see a constant stream of broken covenant. And God committing himself again. Why? Because at the very beginning, he gave man dominion. God holding to the integrity of his name. God holding to what he had intended, to what he spoke. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Another example of covenant is the marriage covenant. Now in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, we see this. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no man split apart what God has joined together. But do you know what the marriage covenant really reveals? It reveals what God wants with humanity. And Hosea chapter 1 verse 2 gives us a picture of how humanity has turned on God. 
When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. This just wasn't working. Generation after generation after generation of broken covenant. God standing by His word still. What a faithful God. How good He is to us. God could not turn His back because He gave His promise. He made the covenant based on His word. Remember, He called the oath upon Himself when He spoke to Abraham. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 and 14 says, For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in His own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Now remember, the covenant is only as good as the oath, and the oath is only as good as the integrity of the one who has given that oath. God was committed to what He had said. So he sends Christ, the mediator. Ultimately, Christ came to fulfill the terms. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 says, When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. We could not keep our end of the covenant. So God came to earth as a man, turned around, and shook hands with himself. Christ, as a man, is the new Adam, and the covenant between God and man has been restored by him. Hebrews 9, 13-15, Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant, a new agreement, a new partnership between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. This is how good he is. Because man kept failing again and again and again, God could not see the covenant through to the end because remember, it requires two parties. So what does he do? He comes to earth as a man, lives a perfect, sinless life, fulfilling every single one of God's commands. And then as a man comes into covenant with God the Father on behalf of humanity. Because we kept failing, God came in and said, I'll do it myself. He swore an oath by his own name. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And this is a new day now. A new covenant, a new agreement, completely paid for by God himself. He kept both ends of the deal on our behalf. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 
31 through 34, is prophesying of a soon coming day. But that soon coming day is now here. We're living in it. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Israel's flaws could not stop God from fulfilling His covenant. Our flaws cannot stop God from fulfilling His covenant. He is rich in mercy. He is rich in grace. He is rich in patience. And he fulfills his end of the deal. Leviticus 26, 44 through 46. But despite all this, and this is speaking of the constant rebellion, you have to realize here, this is generations of idolatry and rebellion. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Repentance, then back into sin. Repentance, then back into sin. Sound familiar? But despite all this, I will not utterly reject or despise them while they are in exile in the land of their enemies. I will not cancel my covenant with them by wiping them out, for I am the Lord their God. For their sakes, I will remember my ancient covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of all the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the decrees, regulations, and instructions that the Lord gave through Moses on Mount Sinai as evidence of the relationship between himself and the Israelites. Why was Adam given another son? It's because of covenant. Why was Abraham given a child in his old age? It's because of covenant. Why was Jacob rescued from Esau? and blessed despite his character flaws. It's because of covenant. Why was Joseph raised to the heights of power in Egypt? It's because of covenant. Why did God respond to the cries of the children of Israel when they were enslaved to the Egyptians? It's because of covenant. Why was Israel forgiven again and again and again? It's because of covenant. Why does he forgive you again and again and again, it's because he is faithful even when we are not. It's because of an oath that he swore by himself. It's because of the integrity that backs that which he promised. It's because of covenant. Galatians 3, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. We're in covenant partnership with God. And that covenant 
is backed by his word and his power. He's able to perform that which he promised. Isaiah 65, 24, I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. When you call, I will answer because of covenant. If you have a need, I'll be there because of covenant. What I have belongs to you. Who I am belongs to you, and you belong to me. Your battles are my battles. My honor is your honor. My resources are your resources. We are one, bound by God's oath, based on his character. We are in partnership, covenant with God. Thank you for listening to The Encounter Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. You can help keep The Encounter Podcast on the air by becoming a monthly supporter or making a one-time donation now. To give, just go to davidhernandezministries.com slash donate. Until next time, remember, nothing is impossible with God.